Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Would you pray with me? Almighty, eternal, and merciful God, our Heavenly Father, whose word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, open and illuminate our minds this morning that we may purely and perfectly understand your word and that our lives may be conformed to what we have rightly understood, that in nothing we may be displeasing unto your majesty. We pray this to you, our Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. I want to begin this morning with a question. What is the aim of your life? In other words, what, what is the, the purpose of your life? As you, as you think about your, your goals, what you want, where you're headed, where, where is your life aiming what is the ultimate goal of your life? What are you trying to achieve? Think about that for a second. What do you want out of this life? Maybe it's material. Maybe, maybe it's a house. Maybe it's kids. Maybe it's to get as much stuff as you possibly can, as much money. Maybe it's just to be happy and comfortable. Maybe it's just to live a long life. Maybe to be healthy. What is your ultimate aim? If you had to pick one thing that your life is aimed at, what is it? Some of these things I mentioned are all fine things, but what if there's more to life than simply trying to achieve kind of what we see as the American dream? The house, the fence, you know, the kids and all that. Well, the Bible tells us that there is. In fact, the Bible not only tells us how to gain eternal life, but it tells us how and where to aim our life here and now. It tells us what direction to point our life. It tells us where our lives should be headed. It tells us what to give our lives for. In other words, God in his holy word has revealed to us the very purpose of our existence. The whole reason we are alive. He created us and he has revealed to us what our purpose is as we live here on earth. And we're going to see this morning in Paul's letter to the Philippians exactly what this aim is. But Paul, who wrote this letter, isn't going to give it to us in a direct way. No, rather, we're going to see the aim of Paul's life as he updates the Philippians on his circumstances. And through that, we will learn the aim for our life. Now, you might remember that in the first sermon in the series, I told you that one of the reasons that Paul writes to the Philippians is to let them know exactly what's going on with him. I mean, there's no internet. He's not putting out YouTube videos. They have no idea what's going on with Paul. He's, He's 1,500 miles away. They haven't heard from him. All they know is that he's been arrested. He's going to tell them this morning what exactly is going on with him. But we're going to find out more than just what is happening in Paul's life. We're going to see the aim of Paul's life. And we're going to watch and learn what the aim of our lives 
must be in response. And next week we'll see as Paul's going to wrestle with the purpose of his existence. And we will find out why Paul thinks that dying is better than living. But there is one simple truth for this whole text that we're going to look at. It's a simple truth. And here it is. If you only take one thing this morning, it's this. Those who treasure Christ aim their lives at the advance of the gospel. Those who treasure Christ aim their lives at the advance of the gospel. Those who value Christ above all else value the spread of his gospel above all else. For those who follow Christ, the aim of their lives is to tell others about Christ. Those who have been saved by Christ give their lives to glorify Christ. Again, those who treasure Christ aim their lives at the advance of the gospel. This is what we're going to see in our text, both this week and next. As I was, I was looking at the text this week and preparing it and, and meditating on it, originally my plan was to preach um, chapter 1, verses 12 through 26, just in, in one sermon, because it really is just one unit of thought that Paul is, is gearing up, but uh, there's, just, there's just too much, and the text struck me in a way that I, I felt like we needed to camp on it a bit this morning. So it's going to be kind of a two-part sermon series. So, so this morning we're going to look at the aim of our lives being the advance of the gospel, and next week we will see what exactly it means to treasure Christ and why Paul says to die is gain. That's how we're going to break it down. So turn with me to Philippians, the first chapter, as we continue our series, Paul's letter. Now remember Paul's situation. You saw a little bit of it in our scripture reading this morning in Acts 28. Paul is in prison in Rome, uh, most likely not in like dungeon type prison, but under house arrest. You saw in Acts 28, it says that he was living at his own expense. So they allowed him basically to rent an apartment there, um, but he can't leave and he's chained to a Roman guard 24-7. Um, and he's, he's actually waiting to stand trial for what he's been accused of, essentially, is crimes against the Roman state. Uh, the Jews had accused him of trying to subvert the authority of the emperor. And as you may know, that, that's, a, that's a capital offense. And so he's waiting to stand trial and to give his defense of his actions before Caesar himself. From all we know, he's probably been in the situation for a couple of years just waiting So that's Paul's situation. And as we look to what he says this morning, we're going to see that the gospel advances when we proclaim Christ. The gospel advances when we proclaim Christ. And the good news of Jesus goes forward in this world when we proclaim it to the world. People get saved when we tell them about Jesus. And that kind of sounds like Christianity 101. And if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, it's like, okay, duh. But we need to hear it this morning because Paul emphasizes this. So let's take a look at the text. Turn with me to Philippians 1.12. And we're going to read through the first half of verse 18. Paul, writing to the Philippians, says this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard And to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. 
The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. See, the gospel advances when we proclaim Christ. You see it there in the text. Now, now here in this text, Paul gives us two ways that the gospel advances when we preach Christ. The first is this. The gospel advances when we use our circumstances to proclaim Christ to the lost. This is exactly what Paul's doing. He's in prison. He's chained to a Roman guard. He can't leave. He's under house arrest. He can't, so he can't go on his missionary journeys anymore. And if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, it's that what he did with his life was travel around and plant churches all throughout the Mediterranean world. But he can't do that anymore. He's stuck. Can't imagine anything more frustrating from a guy who all he wanted to do was go tell people about Jesus who've never heard. And so you might think, oh no, this is a waste. I mean, the Apostle Paul, the the greatest evangelist of history, is stuck. What a waste. One of the most effective missionaries is stuck in a house in Rome. What a loss for the kingdom. He's been taken out of the game. What a hindrance to the spread of the gospel. But see, if you're thinking that, you would be wrong. Because nobody takes Paul out of the game. Because when the advancement of the gospel is the aim of your life, when, it, when it's what you're aiming at, when it's what you've given yourself for, you can leverage any possible circumstance for the spread of the gospel. Paul says in this first line, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, his imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And at first it's like, what, Paul, are you crazy? You're in prison. Your imprisonment has served to advance the gospel. You are standing trial and, and for execution. You could be executed. And this serves to advance the gospel? Yes. And he tells us how in verse 13. Look what he says. He says, it served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. You see, when Paul was taken to Rome, he was chained to a guard. He didn't have freedom, but he didn't see it as a loss. He didn't see it as a tragedy. Sure, it might have been frustrating. He didn't even see it as God taking him out of the game. No, Paul saw this as a divine opportunity to advance the gospel in his new situation. So what did Paul do? He did the same thing he did before. He shared the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone who would listen, with the guards that he interacted with. I mean, listen to what he just said. Let it sink in. Caesar's own imperial guard. So this is, these are the imperial guards of the Roman Empire. These are the most elite Roman soldiers in the game, in the empire, are hearing the gospel because of Paul's imprisonment. Men who otherwise would be out of reach of the gospel because of Paul's situation have now heard the truth of Jesus Christ. Because Paul was able to view his circumstances through the lens of the advancement of the, of the gospel. This was the question constantly before Paul's mind. How can I serve Christ? How can I advance the gospel in my situation? Am I free? Then I'll go plant churches. Am I in chains? Then I'll share the gospel right here. And so when he's imprisoned in Rome, he does not despair. He evangelizes. 
He shares the gospel with whoever is near him. And the, the effect is just crazy. He says the entire imperial guard is now talking about him, the apostle, and Jesus Christ. This is the power of just the simple sharing of the gospel. He didn't have superpowers. He was just a normal guy. And this is what Paul has done his whole life. Prior to this, when he was on a ship sailing to Rome, they got stuck on the island of Malta for three months in the winter. Acts tells us a story. Well, what does he do? He goes around the island praying for people, healing them, and just sharing the gospel. He viewed his circumstances as a way to advance the gospel. He's chained to a guard. It's a captive audience to share the gospel. Can you imagine? Can you imagine it's being chained to the Apostle Paul? Man, better accept Christ quick or you're going to hear about it for a long time. He's, he's stuck in Rome, right? What, what does he do? You saw it in, in Acts 28. He gathers the Jews. He says, tell all the Jews to come to my house. I want to share the gospel with them. So they come. He proclaims the gospel. He had done this in Philippi. That's why the church exists that he is now writing to. We saw that last week in our scripture reading. When he was planning the church in Philippi, you remember what happened? Timothy, him and Timothy, had been thrown in prison in Philippi. Once again, wrongly accused. And God had miraculously freed them. And they had shared the gospel with the guard. And what had happened? Him and his entire family were saved. And you just have to think, that guard, for all we know, is sitting in the congregation of Philippi, hearing this letter read. And he must have just sat there with a smile on his face, knowing that he too once guarded the Apostle Paul, but now is a believer in Christ because of Paul's faithfulness. Just a simple faithfulness, sharing the gospel, seeing his circumstances as a chance to advance the gospel. Now, of course, people didn't get saved every time the Apostle Paul did this. You saw with the Jews when they came to visit him and he shared the gospel and they, they got mad at him, rejected him. He said, yeah, well, God wrote about you too and he said you would reject him. But he shared. He was faithful. He was faithful. He knew that God had called him and every other Christian, all of us here, to use their circumstances to advance the gospel. So relying on God's power, he did just that. Because he trusted God's providence. He trusted that God would put him where he needed him. Whether that's running around the Mediterranean or in prison in Rome. He knew that the call of the Christian life is to advance the gospel. And Paul knew that when the gospel advances that the gospel advances when it is proclaimed, when it is shared. In every situation, at all times, and in every circumstance. So because Paul's life was aimed at the advance of the gospel, he viewed every circumstance, even his imprisonment, as a chance to proclaim Christ to the lost. And people came to know Jesus. But that's not the only effect that Paul's faithfulness in his imprisonment had. There's, there's another effect, and we're going to see that. It's the second thing we see in our text this morning. Because Paul suffered so well, because he, he rejoiced in it, because he was faithful to share the gospel, even in circumstances like this, he gave courage to the brothers and sisters around him. His example emboldened the others to proclaim their gospel even louder. Look at verses 14. He says, and most of the brothers, the, the other believers in Rome, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, 
knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. See, Paul's example emboldened the Christians around him to proclaim Christ even more. Oddly enough, some for good reasons and some for bad reasons. And it's kind of a strange passage at first glance, but basically here's what Paul's saying. Because the other, Christian, the other Christians in Rome saw Paul, saw his life, saw how he shared the gospel, saw how he was imprisoned, they became strengthened in their faith and proclaimed Christ even more boldly. Now, Paul basically lumps these believers into two groups. There was one group who did this for good reasons. In other words, they loved Jesus, so they saw Paul's example and they were encouraged, and so they shared the gospel out of love for Christ and love for others. The second group shared the gospel out of selfish ambition, he says, selfish motives. In other words, they they most likely saw Paul's imprisonment as a great opportunity to grow their ministries and their influence, right? Hey, Paul's in prison. We can actually do some work now. I mean, he takes all the glory otherwise. But Paul's reaction to these selfish, ambitious gospel preachers is, is funny. He, he doesn't say it's okay that they're selfish, but he says, you know what, to be honest, I don't really care. What, whatever Christ is being proclaimed in that, I rejoice. He says, you know what, their motivations, that's between them and God. Christ is proclaimed and in that, I rejoice because his view, his aim was the advancement of the gospel. Paul couldn't care less about his own influence, his own ministry, his own platform, or about his influence. He didn't care that the church down the street was growing. He rejoiced. He simply rejoiced if Christ is being proclaimed. Why? Once again, because the advance of the gospel is the aim of his life, not the advance of his ministry. Not the advance of of his his fans. Not the advance of his Twitter following, right? Simply, whatever happens, Christ must be proclaimed. And in that, he says, I rejoice. The gospel must advance. But you might say, well, that's great. He's an apostle. Of course he's going to be like that, right? Of course he had a crazy life. But I'm just a normal guy. I've got a nine to five. How does this apply to me? And it's a good question. And and I want to provide you with a couple of modern day examples of people doing exactly this and living lives aimed at the advance of the gospel. Because people, even in our modern world, are living this out every day to great effect. First is a story about a man named uh, Pastor Wang Yi from China, I think. But this is recent, and some of you may have heard this. On December 9th, 2018, The Chinese police raided Pastor Yi's church and arrested over 160 people. Can you imagine police storming in? He's still in prison, still detained, uh, accused, exactly like Paul, of crimes against the Chinese state. He's obviously not guilty of that. He's simply preaching the gospel. Now, before he was arrested, he wrote a letter that was to be released in the event of his arrest. He figured this might happen. And I want to read you a couple of excerpts from this letter because it is an example of what it looks like to view your life. The aim of your life is the advance of the gospel. Here is an example of a man whose life is aimed at the advance of the gospel. And listen, listen as I read this. Listen to how he views his imprisonment. Listen, listen to how he frames the situation. 
Listen to what he asks for prayer for and what he prays for. Here's what he says. He says, if God decides to use the persecution of this communist regime against the church to help more Chinese people to despair of their futures, to lead them through a wilderness of spiritual disillusionment, and through this to make them know Jesus, if through this he continues disciplining and building up his church, then I am joyfully willing to submit to God's plans, for his plans are always benevolent and good. I hope God uses me by means of first losing my personal freedom to tell those who have deprived me of my personal freedom that there is an authority higher than their authority and that there is a freedom that they cannot restrain, a freedom that fills the church of the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. Those who lock me up will one day be locked up by angels. Those who interrogate me will finally be questioned and judged by Christ. When I think of this, the Lord fills me with a natural compassion and grief towards those who are attempting to and actively imprison me. Pray that the Lord would use me, that he would grant me patience and wisdom that I might take the gospel to them. Separate me from my wife and children. Ruin my reputation. Destroy my life and my family. The authorities are capable of doing all these things. However, no one in this world can force me to renounce my faith. No one can make me change my life and no one can raise me from the dead. And so, respectable officers addressing the the Chinese government, stop committing evil. This is not for my benefit, but rather for yours and your children's. I plead earnestly with you to stay your hands. For why should you be willing to pay the price of eternal damnation in hell for the sake of a lowly sinner such as I? Jesus is the Christ, son of the eternal living God. He died for sinners and rose to life for us. He is my king and the king of the whole earth yesterday, today, and forever. I am his servant and I am imprisoned because of this. I will resist in meekness those who resist God and I will joyfully violate all laws that violate God's laws. Listen to what he says in the closing section. I firmly believe that Christ has called me to carry out this faithful disobedience through a life of service under this regime that opposes the gospel and persecutes the church. This is the means by which I preach the gospel and it is the mystery of the gospel which I preach. The Lord's servant, Wang Yi. He's sitting in a cell as we speak. He's still there along with many of his congregants. From what we know, he's been severely beaten. Like Paul, he's not sure what will happen. The latest news is that he'll probably spend at least 15 years in prison. But he has delivered a message to us in this letter. His life is aimed at the advance of the gospel. And if his imprisonment furthers the gospel, in his own words, he says, I joyfully submit to God's plans. He firmly believes that Christ has called him to this, to carry out his faithfulness through a life of service. Something tells me that those guards will hear the gospel by the time he is through. And did you hear? He says, I have compassion for them because they don't know what they're doing. He said, pray that I would be a faithful witness to them. 
He longs for them to come to know Christ. Notice that he never once asked to pray for his freedom. He said, pray for my faithfulness. And through this letter, his church has been strengthened and emboldened, and our church can be strengthened and emboldened, just like the Apostle Paul. Church still meets. (laughs) Government hasn't stopped them at all, even though their pastor's in jail. But just by reading this, it has the same effect on me that Paul's example has on the Christians in Rome. It encourages me, it emboldens me to preach Christ, and I pray that it will encourage you as well. This is a man whose life is aimed at the advance of the gospel no matter the cost. Let us learn from him. Let us imitate him as he imitates not only Paul, but Christ himself, our Lord and Savior. The second example is a businessman named Philip Zadiates, I think. It's a long and complicated story, but basically he has been accused, again, this is recent in the last couple years, he has been accused and convicted of aiding and abetting a woman who was attempting to flee the country. From his account, he had no idea what she was trying to do, Um, and the courts have really came down on him hard because it's one of those instances where he had... um, preached a sermon, or or somehow they called him a homophobe because uh, he thought that homosexuality was a sin. Anyway, he's currently serving a three-year prison term. Uh, He has six adopted children and a wife at home and a ministry and a business to run. And you or I might find this a reason to be a bit discouraged and downcast, but not Philip. Listen to what he said in his first letter out of prison. He says this, this was last week. And again, look, look, listen for how he frames the situation, how he sees it. He says, God gave me a terrific cellmate who looks out for me and three men to disciple. We begun a prayer time and every evening and we'll, we begun a prayer time every evening and we'll soon begin a Bible study. Pray that I may have God's wisdom and insight. I feel very unqualified. As a matter of fact, my cellmate told me shortly after he came to this prison, God gave him a vision that God would bring a cellmate who would be the catalyst for a new direction for his life. So please continue to pray for me regularly for whatever might be my ministry here. It's another example of a life aimed at the advance of the gospel. He's already been discipling three men and beginning a Bible study. But, but to me, the, the most impactful line is that last line, pray for me regularly, whatever might be my ministry here. That's it. That, that's the attitude of a Christian whose life is aimed at the advance of the gospel. He just assumes that wherever he is, that is where God wants him, and God has prepared some type of ministry for him to do. Some people to serve, some people to share the gospel, some people to love. His aim is, is the gospel, wherever he is. If he's in prison... Well, then God's prepared a ministry here for me here. He has me here for a reason. Share the gospel with the lost and embolden those around him. Paul viewed his life this way and the whole imperial guard heard the gospel of Christ. Christians in Rome were emboldened. Pastor Yi and Philip Zadiates viewed their lives this way and I'm sure we will only see their impact for the advance of the gospel on the other side of eternity. The call is simple. Wherever you are, in whatever situation, advance the gospel of Christ. Aim your entire life to fulfill this mission, this purpose. 
And you don't have to go to prison to do this. I know all the examples are from prison, but that's not the point. The point is to live this in every area of your life now. Pastor Yi, Paul, Zadiates didn't start to live this way because they went to prison. They're living this way now in prison because they lived this way before. They simply continued once they were thrown into prison. And that is the call of Christ, the mission of the church. And this must be the aim of your life and mine and ours as a church. In every area at all times. And when you aim your life at the advance of the gospel, the lost hear the gospel and they come to know Christ. When you aim your life at the advance of the gospel, it emboldens the other believers around you. It happened in Paul's life and it can happen in yours as well. And if you'll simply be faithful and trust in God's power and obey him. The advance of the gospel must be the aim of our church and the aim of everyone here who claims Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It's what we have been called to. It's what we have been commanded to do. And it's what we have the privilege of doing. And guess what? You don't have to travel across the globe to do it. You don't have to go to prison to do it. You can, and I pray that some of you take up the call to go to overseas missions. You can do it overseas, but the work starts here. Aiming your life at the gospel starts here and now. It's about living faithfully, whether you are here somewhere else or across the world. Think about it. Think about your circumstances. Think about where God has placed you. We believe God is sovereign. He's placed you in specific situations, specific circumstances for a purpose. Where do you find yourself? Think of your family. Think of your job. Think of the hobbies you enjoy. Think of the places you go, the places you like to hang out. What would it look like to view these as opportunities to advance the gospel? Maybe in your family, it looks like prayer for your spouse. Pray for your children. Make discussions around your house about Christ. Not in a weird, awkward way where you're not allowed to talk about anything else. In a way that shows the love of Christ in your home. In a way that helps your family to focus on Jesus. Look for opportunities to share the gospel with those who don't know Jesus in your family. Pray for them. You never know what God might do. If the gospel can go out amongst the imperial Roman guards, I assure you it can go out amongst your family. View your job as a way to advance the gospel. Pray for your coworkers in your private time. Be gracious and Christ-like in your manner. When the time comes, share the gospel with them. Invite them to church. Be a gospel witness to them. And again, this doesn't mean being the annoying person who gives an altar call after every conversation or who launches into a sermon every chance they can get. And it doesn't mean getting into theological debates with everyone. It simply means being a good employee, working in a way that glorifies Christ and sharing the good news of Christ when the opportunity comes. Same thing for your hobbies, the ways you advance the gospel. Be there for people when life goes bad. Pray for them. And if, you, if you people know that you're a Christian, they will just start coming to you and ask you for prayer. Opportunities will open themselves as they see your life, as they see the way that you interact with them. But you have to be thinking this way. Your life must be aimed at the advance of the gospel. Because to be honest, if your life isn't aimed at the advance of the gospel, then when you share the gospel, it doesn't sound that important to you. You must view every area of your life as a way to advance the gospel. And yeah, we might experience some awkward moments. We'll make mistakes. People might get offended. 
If they do, that's okay. You'll be in great company with the Apostle Paul. He's in prison for sharing the gospel. But how did he view it? Again, just another opportunity to share the gospel. So some uncomfortable situations may arise. But you know what else will happen? People will come into a knowledge of the truth and will spend eternity with us. People will come to know Christ. People will come to know the Lord and Savior that you love so dearly. People repent and turn to Christ in faith. So you say, but wait, 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 wait. What if people get mad? What what if people hate me? Well, they probably will at some point. So what? They hated Jesus. Jesus says this in John 15, 18. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. He says that's a consequence of being a disciple of Christ. Again, not because you're a jerk. That's not what's going on in that verse. Because they hate Jesus. But what if it gets awkward? Again, it probably will. That's okay. It's happened to me before. You just shake it off and laugh about it later. And in light of eternity, is it really that big of a deal? God forbid someone perishes in their sin because we were afraid of awkwardness. We must not be ashamed of the testimony of Christ. Jesus says this in Mark 8, 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What if I get assaulted and beaten? What if I get thrown in jail? It's a real possibility and frankly will probably be more and more of a real possibility as time goes on. The apostles were beaten. The apostles were thrown in jail. In fact, all the apostles except for John were executed for their faith. I hope you realize that you follow a Savior who was killed. You follow a church founded by the apostles that were all killed for their faith. We shouldn't expect much better treatment, even though in God's grace we have it now. But listen how the apostles respond to being beaten in Acts 5. The council of the Jews calls them in. It says this, And when they had called in the apostles... They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of Christ. And listen, you, you, may not, you may not get that yet. You may not be fully there. But you can't leave this morning without understanding why they rejoiced. See, because they treasured Christ above all else. And they had given their lives over to the advance of the gospel. And so they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer alongside Christ. But what if... They kill us. What what if they threaten us with death, right? We've seen the videos. We've heard stories. We've we've seen the men down on their knees with the guys with the knives behind them. Happens all over the world every day, even today. In fact, more now than ever. They, They estimated that more Christians were killed for their faith last year than ever before in history. What if they kill us? What if they kill me? Paul says to die is gain. Death is gain. And we'll look more in depth at that later. But even if they kill us, we win. 
Do you realize how powerful that understanding is? How powerful the gospel is? Do you realize how powerful our God is? How powerful our faith is? He will not be stopped. The gospel is advancing and the call is to get in the game. They can hate us. They hated Jesus. We'll love them and pray for them in return. They can beat us. We rejoice. They can imprison us. We'll preach to the guards. They can kill us and we will gain Christ. Do you see the utter power in this viewpoint? There's literally no downside. That's the power of aiming your life at the advance of the gospel. You can't lose. Filled with God's spirit, you will be unstoppable in the service of the advancement of the gospel. The Roman Empire tried to stamp out Christianity with all its might. They killed all the Christians they could find. 300 years later, the entire empire was Christian. Their lives were aimed at the advance of the gospel. It's not an option. It's what Christ has commanded you and me. We must aim our lives at the advance of the gospel until Jesus returns for the salvation of the lost, for the encouragement of our brothers and sisters. So I ask you to consider this question again. What are you aiming at? What are you aiming at? I know studying this text this week, my own mind, my own heart needs a course correction. I would assume yours does too. What are we aiming at? It doesn't mean just pray a prayer and you'll be fixed, but it means that as you consider your life, consider this, remember this, we must be aimed at the advance of the gospel, the progress of the good news of Jesus Christ. Invest your life in the only cause that is worthwhile. Aim your life at the only cause that is guaranteed to succeed. Aim your life at the only cause that is guaranteed to bring joy. Aim your life at the advance of the gospel in every circumstance, in every situation, whatever the cost. I'd like to end with a poem. It's long, but it's powerful. Listen to this. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for life, living for self or in his will. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done. 
for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, "Twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have called us. You have called us not only to yourself, but to those around us, to those who do not know you. Father, I pray that through your word this morning, you would deepen the knowledge of this in my heart and the hearts of those here. Father, give us a passion. Let us treasure Christ in our hearts. Let us understand what this means at the deepest level of our being. Father, teach us what it means to aim our lives at the advance of the gospel. Show, show each and every person here what that looks like in their individual life. Show them what that looks like in their job. Show them what that looks like in their family. Show them what that looks like in their hobbies and in every sphere of life. Father, I pray you would continue to give us opportunities. I pray you would continue to embolden us. Father, I thank you for our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering for the cause of Christ and yet advancing the gospel. Thank you for their example. May it continue to embolden us. And Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who does not know you, who does not know the salvation that is found in Jesus, who does not know the gospel. Father, would you call them to yourself this morning? Would you call them to turn and repent from their sins and trust in your son Jesus for forgiveness? Would they come to life this morning? We pray all this in the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.